I don't know if you notice some of the underlying things that are going on as you read through your Bibles. God is an absolutely amazing God. That he would do what he does to seek after fellowship with you and me. I just read through the book, The Song of Solomon. And called the Song of Songs and you have a bridegroom and you have a bride and you have choruses in that book. For the first time as I read through that book, I just sat back in awe and wonder and amazement. There is a picture of an intimacy and relationships between two persons in that book. God is the one who created the idea of intimacy. This didn't occur to Adam and Eve and they discovered it, either before or after the fall. Intimacy is not an afterthought, it's not a social construct. Intimacy between a man and a woman is built in out of the heart and mind of God and his creation. Are you awake? What kind of a relationship does God want with his people? He wants an intimate, very intimate, very personal relationship. That's what he wants. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? And so, we have the subject before us this afternoon, the subject of repentance. Repent! Repent. And somebody was yelling that on board an airliner and they had to make an emergency landing. She said, repent, you're all going to perish. Repent! She started screaming and got out of hand and they had to make a premature landing to get her off the airplane. But, but it started out with repent, repent, repent. And the idea, of course, is we're, we're born into the wrong kingdom, Right? We're born as sinners. Uh, uh, we're dead to God and we're alive to sin when we're born. Correct? Anybody? Is that, is that unanimous? You all vote unanimous? Is that the way you came into this world? Dead to God and alive to sin. And so how do you get from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of sin, into the kingdom of righteousness? How, how, what, what brings you across there? Now, we, we heard in the message this morning... Uh, how God rescues us out, uh, from the authority of darkness and transfers us th- into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he does so th- through the death of his son on the cross. He does that. But if we don't agree to that, we will never make that transfer. That transfer is made because man does something. Man makes a decision. He, makes, he, 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 he looks at the situation and he comes to a conclusion about his relationship with God, about who God is, what God has done to save him, and how he's going to relate to this. And so he makes a personal choice. He makes a personal decision. Decision means choice. It means I think it through and I make a decision on that particular matter. So how then do we become a partner with God in the kingdom of righteousness? How do we move out of the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. How do we do that? How do, what, what is it? What's involved in that? Well, one of the things, it's just one of the things that, that, that is an ingredient here. And by the way, when you get to the Calvinists and the Arminians, this is a big, big, huge issue there. I think when they get to heaven, I think, uh, uh, well, they'll, they'll get straightened out when they get there. Uh, but if God were let them, they'd still be arguing uh, about the free will of man and the absolute sovereignty of God. And those are two biblical facts that cannot be reconciled by the human mind. Uh, it just that it cannot it cannot be done. But how do I become up? Well, one of the things that's involved in this has to do with with my free moral agency. God made me with the capacity to love Him and have personal relationships, and you can't have love and relationships unless you have the power to choose. It's absolutely impossible. So you have to be able to discriminate. Uh, I discriminated against every woman in the world when I married my wife. And, and she discriminated against every man in the, wor- in the world when she married me. All of our choices are discriminatory. So this discrimination stuff is going to get you in trouble. So, so but, but we made a choice. We looked each other over and we decided, look, uh, nobody else is for me but her and nobody else is for me but him. And so we made that. So, so when it comes to repentance, repentance has to do with my coming to awareness. And we had Girdlestone's definition here, a very good one. Uh, Two ideas set forth. Uh, man comes to himself and, and, and he realizes what he, what's really going on in his life, and then, then man comes to God as a result of that. <clears throat> now, uh, there's a decision B to change direction, which results from a change in mind. You don't change directions in your life if you don't change your mind. You've got to make a decision in the mind. And so, both the mind and the will, mental and moral di- uh, dimensions in this thing, uh, there are those two two dimensions of 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 um, uh, of, of of life that that happen in repentance. Um, C capital letter C. I'm just going very quickly through here to change the mind, adopt another view after careful thought and recognition that the earlier view was foolish, improper, or evil. Um, and we used the word reconsideration earlier in the in the in the uh, in the outline, uh, may I say that every area of our life where there's a stronghold of sin in our lives, we need to be reconsidering what's going on in our lives. We need to be thinking that through. If something needs to change, we have our mind and our heart have to change before. And that means we need to give it careful thought. If we're having marital problems, we need to give careful thought to what's at the bottom of them. If we're having personal problems at work, we need to give careful thought to what's, what's at the bottom of this thing. Okay? What's at the bottom of the, of the issues that we face in life? And with every one of us, it's different. But what's at the bottom of these issues? We need to be thinking these things through. Because generally, there's a need for repentance. And it isn't that we are willfully, sometimes, we have decided, I'm going to tear my house up, I'm going to tear my business up, I'm going to tear my neighbors up. I'm, uh, we don't generally think in those terms. 
But there's a selfishness at the bottom of our lives, and we are putting ourselves in a position of God in our lives, in various areas of our lives, and it's causing us trouble. And we've got to quit it. That was the big temptation in the garden. You'll be as gods. They didn't want to be dependent on God. They wanted to be as gods. They didn't want their knowledge of good and evil to depend on what God said. They, they wanted it for themselves. And we're, are you like that? Help me out. Help me out. Yeah, we're like that. Okay. So, we go to capital letter C to change the mind, adopt another view after careful thought and recognition that the earlier view is foolish, improper, or evil. But you will notice, number one, very, very important in both an emotional and volitional sense. And A and B are very important. Circle it and get it. B is generally how repentance is understood. A change of mind, a change of the will. But A is a change of heart. It's a moral change. There is a reversal of moral purpose. Underline that. That is essential to true repentance. A reversal of moral purpose. My life has been given to that which is damaging and wrong. This area of my life is out of control. And and this has got to change. It is wrong. And my heart and my mind are in agreement. Now, I don't know how to do this because I've generally, when we've got a problem like that in life, we've, we've tried for a long time to get, get that thing resolved in the flesh. Is that not true? We work real hard on resolving a lot of these things in our lives. Okay? But the first thing that has to happen is a reversal of moral purpose and a change of choice, the will. This is enough. This is enough. It is wrong. It is wicked. I'm coming into agreement with God in this area of my life, which puts him in a position where he can begin to do what I cannot do, what only he can do. He wants to do it a lot of times, and he's waiting on me to catch up with what needs to be done in my life. Does that make sense? Okay. So... We, we get the five areas of changing of the mind, disposition, insight, understanding, thought, opinion, judgment, motives, and then we go on about what do you change your mind, just about everything, just about everything. And what repentance is not, this again is very, very important. Somebody says, you need to change the direction of your life. You cannot do that apart from the grace of God. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life that enables you to do that. So, it is not a change of behavior. I'm not, it's not me changing my behavior. I cannot change my life. A lot of sinners don't understand this. I love sin. I'm enjoying a sinful life. Why should I change? Well, because you're headed for ruin and destruction. That's, that's the reason for that. But a lot of them say, what's the use? Because I've tried to change it. I've tried to give up my bad habits. I've tried to give up my drinking and my smoking. And I've tried to give up my cursing and my swearing and my anger and all these other things that I have in life. I've tried to give them up, and I just haven't been able to do it. So what's the use? I can't change. Don't ask me to repent. I can't change. Well, that's not repentance, because you can't do that. God does not expect you to do that. 
So it's not a change of behavior. It's not penance. It's not flagellating yourself because you, you were a bad boy or a bad girl and I'm, I'm going to punish myself by doing certain things and I'm going to go on a pity party and, and just deny myself all the good things. No, 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 no. You can't pay for your sin. Jesus did that. That's not repentance. And it's not sorrow for sin. Now you can change your mind, but if your heart doesn't change, <laughs> you're sorry that you got caught. You're sorry for the consequences, but you're not sorry for the wickedness of what got you there. Huh? Okay? So you can be sorry for the consequences of sin in your life and, and totally be unconcerned about the wickedness that got you there in the first place. And God is concerned about our loving him. Again, I, I go back to the Song of Solomon. Everything in that, in that, in that book is tied up in an intense love. God's, and I, then I, just, I read through, just got done reading through Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God. Well, what do you mean love him? Well, Song of Solomon tells you how to love him intimately. Personally, wholeheartedly, with your whole being. That's how you love God. Yes? See? One defines the other. And so, uh, sorrow for sin doesn't cut it. Unless there is a moral dimension to what you're doing. And the, the real sorrow should be for the way that you and I have dishonored God by what we've done and how we've behaved. That should be the real sorrow. The name of God has been besmirched. I've done that so many times. I'm just, I bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. That's what really ought to bother me. Yeah? Not how it reflects on me, how it reflects on him. And that's what repentance, genuine repentance, is all about. It has a divine perspective to it. How necessary is repentance? We move along. The call to repentance was the purpose of Christ's coming. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Repentance. Jesus said people that are well don't need a doctor. If people that are sick, people need a doctor. If everybody, if you, if you don't, if you're right and everything is okay in your life, you don't need God. But the problem is you die if you don't. He keeps your heart beating, but let's go on. The call to repentance, number one, is the only way that, that, that Jesus can bring men to God. The only way. Otherwise, they're going to stay at odds with God on the opposite side of the fence, going their way, not God's way, going their own way. Number two, it's the only way I can receive divine help. I must lay down my arms against God or there is nothing he can do. Boy, underline that one. What is sin? We, we dig in on certain issues in our life. We dig in. And we say, it's going to be this way. I don't care what mom says. I don't care what dad says. I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what the Bible study book says. This is the... the Wait just a minute. How can God do anything in your life when you have declared war against God and his ways? How can God bless you and me? Now, it doesn't... You're still awake? We can have problems piled high as a mountain in our life, but if we're on God's side of getting these things resolved on his terms, he is in a position to bless us regardless of all of that garbage in our life. But if we're on the other side, he could, there's nothing he can do. 
Does that make sense? We don't have to have a perfect life so God can bless us. We've got, we need to be on God's side of every issue in our life. And when we are there, he is free to smile on us, to help us, to bless us. That's the only way we're going to get over some of these sins in our lives is to be on God's side of them. Okay? So it's the only way I can receive divine help. I must lay down my arms against God or there's nothing he can do. Opposition to his works in my life must be, what's the next word? Removed. If I desire what? A transformed life. Let me ask you, do you really, genuinely, and I believe most of you do, do you desire a transformed life? I think most of you would say, yes, pastor, I do. Okay? Then you've got to be on God's side of every issue in your life, or he doesn't have the he he doesn't have your permission to change things. He's got to have your permission to get rid of the ugliness in your life. And if he doesn't have that, what can he do? He doesn't overcome your will and say, I'm going to force this Christian to get this thing resolved in his life. God does not do that. He does not do that. Opposition to his works in my life must be removed if I desire a transformed life. And I do. And I think you do. I pray that you do. Number three, it's the only means by which our conflicts and difficulties with God can be resolved. They must be resolved on his terms and not ours. And that is so true. Underline that. They must be resolved on his terms and not ours. If you want peace in your heart, now, Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, in me you have peace. How can you have tribulation in the world all around you and then you have peace? It's because every issue in your life is resolved on God's terms, and if it is, God's peace is there. That's where his peace is. It's when we don't resolve things in our lives on God's terms that there are conflicts, there are all kinds of difficulties and problems that, that there, and guilt and the whole thing piles up. There is no such thing as a problem-free life, but there is a life where we resolve issues on God's terms and not ours. Page three, number four, an issue is who is right. Who is right and who's wrong? Who's right and who's wrong? I... I am amazed at human stupidity. My own. And yours. And everybody else's. We think we are smarter than God. We think that God owes us an explanation for everything. And we assume that if he gave it, we could understand it. And it would make sense to us. Has God said, you shouldn't eat? Why? You surely will not die. God has lied to you. He has deceived you. And he is trying to keep you from equality with himself. You're going to be like God. Who's right and who's wrong? Now, when you, when you read the Bible, it does not all make sense. I'll give you one. I was listening about the, about the tremendous mental health crisis in America. Anxiety! Anxiety! All right, let me give you the cure from Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That doesn't make sense, even to most Christians. How many Christians are going to psychiatrists because of anxiety? They're going to the doctor to get their anxious pills. You know where the Christian's pharmacy is? It's in the Psalms. Five Psalms a night is the best tranquilizer you can take. I'm serious about that. I'm serious about that. Who's right and who's wrong? And Job, Job had all of this stuff going on in his life. Do you think that God, did God ever explain to Job why he did what he did? Why he allowed what he allowed? We have any record of God explaining to Job what happened, how the devil came up to heaven and got permission, and that God did not do this, he just allowed the devil to do it because Job was a righteous man and he was defending Job before. Do you think Job knew that? You think he ever figured that all out? The book of Job simply does not make sense. From beginning to end, it does not make sense. Not according to human reasoning, it does not. And notice notice this verse from Job, verse 32, and a lot of Christians live here. This is very interesting to me. There, There are a lot of bitter, angry Christians Bitter against God, angry against God, because of who they are, how God made them, because of the situation in which they were born, in which they live, they get angry and upset with God. And notice Job 32 too. The anger of Elihu, the son of Berechel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned. Against Job, his anger burned because Job justified himself. Help me. Before God. Who should have been justified before whom? Now, Job didn't know any better. If anybody was living in the dark, it was Job. I mean, it was pitch dark around Job. You don't lose your family. You don't lose everything you've got, except your wife. You don't lose your health with a life th- to a life-threatening disease. You don't do that when you have been worshiping God, walking with God, doing everything God wanted you to do. You've been obedient. You don't do that without living in the dark. I mean, it was black dark. But he justified himself before God. May I say that if you're angry with God, that's probably what's going on in your life. God should not have allowed this. God had no right to take my loved one from me. God had no right to do this, allow this to happen to me. God had no right to do this. Now, wait a minute. Who's God and who are you? See? Who's God? Who am I? So, repentance becomes a real issue. I mean, we, we need to reevaluate. If, 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 there's, if this is going on in your life, you need to make a Reevaluation. And get resolved that is God's wisdom greater than ours? Help me. 
Is God's love greater than ours? More perfect than ours? Is God's intent and purpose greater than ours? Better than ours? Is it? Does God have a right to do with my life what brings him the most glory, even if I would not make that choice? Can I choose to defer to God's wisdom? Can I? I mean, all of this, it's a reconsideration of the issues of life. That's what repentance is. For the unbeliever, it's a matter of reconsidering the fact that without Christ, he has no life. It's moving out of darkness into light. Death into life. But for the believer, it's moving from bondage into blessing. Did you get that? Very important to the believer. Our thinking, our thought, our process of thinking. Some choose not to repent. This is interesting. You, you go into Revelation, and boy, I mean, with all of this going on, if you think global warming is a problem now, <laughs> Mr. Environmentalist, you ain't seen nothing yet. <clears throat> and if you think you're going to fix it with your carbon dioxide mess, I've got news for you, Mr. Newsom. You ain't gonna you ain't gonna save planet Earth. That's not going to happen. Does not want to repent. Has no desire to repent. And that's in the church in Revelation, one of the churches in, in chapter nine. It's all of these things going on with all the plagues. Did not repent. Same thing in chapter sixteen again. More of it getting worse and worse. Did not repent. Somebody said, "Well, you change your mind." No, 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 no. I didn't put this verse in here. I don't think I put it in here. There's a very important verse about that. Do, do you remember? What, what? Anybody remember? Do I have the rich man here? Do I have him anywhere? Is he in, these, in the outline here? No, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. Um, the, the, um, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, do you remember that? I wish I could get up and march around the auditorium now. <laughs> wish I could do that. Now, um, the rich man had everything in life, correct? Right or wrong? All right. He had a maid. And Lazarus uh, had sores and the dog from, from, from the rich man. The rich man's dogs were licking his sores. That was his med- medical policy. And, and they were licking his sores. And they both died. And, and, and Lazarus was carried by the angels of God. He had an angelic escort into Abraham's bosom. This is before the resurrection. Into Abraham's bosom, which is where it's located. I don't have any earthly idea. If you know, you let me know, and then we'll all print it up and make money on it. But, but nobody knows. But into Abraham's bosom, which was paradise, and, and the rich man in flames of hell lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. Just take a bit of water on the tip of his finger and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. And, 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 and Abraham said, look, you had your chance and he had his chance. I'm paraphrasing very loosely now. And you, you both had your chance and, and you, you, you blew it and he did the right thing. And so he's in paradise and you're in hell. You're in the flames of hell. 
And he said, well, I said, well, okay, okay, okay. I can't get out of here. So go send somebody, please. Send somebody. Send somebody from Hamilton Square Baptist Church to knock on my door. Out on the avenues. Ring the bell. Knock the door down. Tell them to escape this terrible place. Abraham's response was this. They have Abraham and the prophets. They have God's word. And if they won't listen to God's word, now listen to this. If, if they won't listen to God's word and heed what God's word says, they would not be persuaded even if someone from the dead went with the message. If one of their dead relatives got up out of the cemetery down in Coma and came knocking on their door to announce that they needed to repent, it wouldn't do any good because unbelief is a moral choice. Are you hearing me? Not even that would change their minds. What does it take to change our minds? So the options. From Matthew, he talks about these cities in which many of his miracles were done because they did not change their minds. They had seen these great signs. And by the way, the people that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they saw the resurrection of the dead. Many of them did not believe. Many believed, many did not. It was a moral choice. The Jewish leaders chose. They knew he was out of the dead. Their, their veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. It was ripped in two supernaturally. None of these Jewish leaders were ignorant of that fact. That would have been the news of the day, the Jerusalem Gazette. Five inch thick veil torn from the top to the bottom supernaturally when Jesus died. Wow. They did not repent of the works of their hands so as to worship demons and so on. Now I'm in Matthew 11. They, they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon, Bethsaida, the miracles occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes and also these other cities I mentioned in that text. You see, either God's going to change his mind, and I don't think he will, or Man must change his mind. One will judge the other. And I'm assuming the lesser will be judged by the greater. I think that's a good assumption. In the end, everything, like it or not, will be settled on God's terms. How important is repentance? It's the only way to life and it's the only way to blessing. Because we always start on the wrong end of things as, as, as sinners, whether we're saved, sinners saved by grace, or we're sinners that have never been saved. We're always on the wrong end of things. Come on now. Yes or no? We are. To repent is not an option in the matter of being saved from sin. Jesus, uh, to those suffering tragedies and atrocities, said, unless you repent, you are going to perish just like these people did. Paul on Mars Hill, all having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should do what? Repent. Repent. Now, the question is this. I want to stand up. I want to get down with you folks. Um, 
The, the question is this, okay? You hear it all the time. How would a loving God ever, ever, ever send anybody to hell? Okay? And Paul talks about God's love. And what does God's love do? What is God's love intention? Well, what is it? How does it operate? Romans 2. Now, read, are you with me? Bottom of page 3. Read, read the text with me, please. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will ex- escape the judgment of God? Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Now notice the riches of his what? What, what are the three words? Kindness and what? Tolerance and what? Patience. Not knowing, and that's the Greek word agnostic. It means you're ignorant. You're ignorant of the fact that the kindness of God is designed to do what? To tolerate their sin? Or to what? Lead them to repentance. Lead them to repentance. Now, number five, verse number five, this is the problem. Because of the stubbornness and unrepentive heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I have a warning here. God's love and kindness to sinners is not an approval of their life of sin. Now, God makes the sun shine on the good and on the bad. God does not bring total judgment on mankind at this period of time. You can live as a sinner and prosper. You can your stocks and bonds. You can be worth millions. You can have everything you want in this life. Does that mean God approves? No. God's love and kindness to sinners is not an approval of their life of sin. God's love and goodness are specifically designed to lead us to repentance. Apart from our personal repentance, there is nothing God's love can do to deliver us from the wrath of God in his final day of judgment. True or false? That's got to be true. So the love of God is no substitute for repentance. It does not, does not degate or make unnecessary repentance. How does it work? Page number four. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a grant or gift from God. Question! 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 All right. What do you do? Just, it's interesting, as I, any of you, when you try to pray, there's a resistance to praying? When you try to pray? Anybody have that experience? You're trying to do the right thing, and there's something in you that doesn't want to do it? it what, what in the, what, how, how do you deal with this, this resistance on the end? You, you know what's right, and you're considering doing what's right, and something in you, I'm not going to let go of that. She did that. And she is going to go to her grave with that on her back. I mean, there's something in us that doesn't want to do right. Is there anybody here who doesn't live at that address? So what in the world, what in the world do you do? Well, the Holy Spirit, the, the repentance is a, grant, is a grant of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And I I never forget, it's one of my favorite illustrations, that godly Chinese pastor many, many years ago, and he was praying, and he was saying, God, now you know that you and I have a strong disagreement about this matter. 
Well, I like that. That's an honest prayer. But he said, God, don't you dare give up until you win. Okay? Now, that, when you say that, that means the Holy Spirit can work in your life to make this possible and bring it about. There are battles that, 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 that we fight. And, and just getting on God's side of the battle is a battle itself. Now, number two, this work of the Holy Spirit is available only to those whose hearts and minds are open toward God. Here, I've got it here. I've got it here. I did have it in my notes. The Lazarus and the rich man. They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Their minds and their hearts are closed. They are shut. Repentance is available only to those whose hearts and minds are open toward God. And note underneath that repentance is is not an intellectual matter. It is a moral choice. That is so important. You can't resist. Listen, you can win the argument with the atheist, but his, his choice, he is an atheist for moral reasons, not intellectual reasons. Did you hear me? Atheists are atheists not for intellectual reasons, but for moral reasons. It comes in response to the truth. God reveals the truth of the work of the Holy Spirit to me. This is the true ground of repentance. True repentance is impossible from a knowledge of the truth. Oh, wow. It is the truth that enlightens us. And we read God's word and we say, now this isn't where I should be living. Something is not right here. So then you read the truth. And number three, underline the word embrace. You're not going to get victory. You're not going to repent until you embrace the truth. That's so important. It's at this point that repentance takes place. It leads to confession, which is agreement. It's a stated agreement with God. Puts us into agreement with God. It puts us on side, uh, his side of every issue. When we take God's side against our sin, he then takes our side. Underline that. When we take God's side against our sin, he then takes our side. Who needs to repent? The religious Boy, oh boy, the Pharisees came to John the, John the Baptist and he warned them to flee from the wrath to come. The Pharisee and the public and the religious people need to repent. They need to understand that their good works and religious beliefs are not sufficient before God to create a relationship with God. It is their heart that needs to be changed from the inside out the lost people and sinners. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Ephesians 2. We've heard it several times today. You were dead. That's literally the Greek text says, and you were dead. That means you can't do anything without God's help in your life. Without the help of the Holy Spirit. Page 5. Believers are to repent, not for salvation, but for blessing but for blessing. And you take a look at these deeds of the flesh, and every one of us has problems in in these things. Just take a look at the whole long list. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, like things like this. Who doesn't have a problem? And in every one of these areas, if there's a stronghold in our life, we need to reconsider and we need to get on God's side of that issue so he can do something about it 
in our lives. What is God's response? Joy in heaven. Joy in the presence of the angels. God is not willing that any should perish. God does not enjoy the misery of his saints. He delights to bless them. How is it important in repenting and and preaching and proclaiming? Well, John the Baptist, his message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At Pentecost, they went out, they preached that, I'm sorry, before Pentecost, they went out and preached that men should repent after Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Solemnly testifying both Jews and Greeks repentance toward God. And then in fulfilling the Great Commission, Luke 24, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance is absolutely necessary to the work of God in the life of the unbeliever and in the life of the believer. And now, will you stand please for a moment? I've got to put the clincher on this thing. Stand for a moment with me. All right, on the bottom of the page, I'm going to test you. Find the tip, find, find your notes. Find your notes. Find your notes. All right, are you ready? We're at the bottom of page five. Are you there? Are you there? And what is the text there? Hebrews 12, all right. Hebrews 12, okay. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, no root of bitterness bringing up cause trouble, by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now, do you know who Esau is? Who's his brother? Jacob was his brother. And what did Jacob do? He wanted the birthright. Esau came in famished. Now, why did Esau make the deal? Because he was a poor, he was a, literally a poor nos man. He was a, an immoral, and he was an absolutely godless pagan in his own heart. He had a problem. He had a problem. And so, how much did he value the blessing of God and his birthright? He sold it for a bowl of soup. Now, Christian, are you listening to me? You be careful at the deals you make with the devil. Be careful at the deals you make with the devil. Notice verse number 17, the last verse in the red font. In the red font. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. That's a personal thing. Though he sought for it with tears. He begged and he pleaded. He saw the stupidity of it, but he never, never, never made a moral choice of repentance. He got caught. He regretted the consequences of what he did. Now, I want you to look at the, at the, at the, at the, yellow, at the yellow highlighted paragraph here. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at this. Because God deals with us as, as Christians. There are irreversible consequences 
to some of the choices we make, and especially from our neglect of the wonderful blessings and privileges that result from our meeting God's terms in in repentance, settling the issues of our lives on God's terms, not our own. Irreversible consequences, underline that, underline that. When we are not open toward God, we are not open toward being on God's side. If if Esau had been on God's side, this never would have happened. And I'm simply telling you, do not in your life as a believer play around with the future. Don't do it. Don't sell it. If, If you have something in your life today that needs to be settled on God's terms, settle it here now and today. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Unconditionally. Sell it here today on his terms. If there's bitterness, there's anger, there's immorality, whatever it is in your life, placing things above God in in your life and and making the American dream your God instead of the will of God, which is much more blessed than the American dream ever could be. The will of God, the ways of God, if, if you're not valuing those things, reconsider now, here and right now. Your goal is not to make a name for yourself. Your goal is to make a name for your God. Hmm? That's why you're on planet Earth. Okay? That's why you're here. It's very important. Not that we overcome everything, that we have victory over everything, that we're living the blessed life where nothing is wrong. That's totally irrelevant. The important thing is that we are on God's side of every issue in our life. That's, that's the place where God can help us and bless us. Yeah. And repentance brings us there. Repentance brings us there. Now let's bow our heads for prayer. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And Before God, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. He takes a message like this and he applies it just totally different ways and totally different lives. But I'm just pleading you through in prayer, saying, now look, God, every issue of my life must be resolved on your terms. I'm yours. You've redeemed me. And I want your blessing more than anything else in life. And I want nothing to stand between me and the blessing of God And the glorification of God in my life and in my world. This is my goal. This is my heart's desire. And to that end, I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit of God to enable me to do what I can't do. Because I can't do it. Heavenly Father, bless your people. Encourage their hearts. Draw them to yourself. Just like that bridegroom went after, passionately went after the bride and in the Song of Solomon. Just will you just go after your bride here today? Woo and draw your people to yourself and a personal love relationship between you and them.
All of it because of the greatness of your heart and mind and your love toward us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen.